for us. So we're going to read out of Proverbs chapter 6, and uh, we're going to read verses 12 through 19, then we're going to go to prayer, and we're going to get after it tonight. Verse number 12. A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth. He winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers. Frowardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. And all of that led to this main subject of the text. He soweth discord. Because he sows discord, verse 15 says, Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. Why so severe, verse 16 tells us. Because God hates it. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. The title of the message tonight is this, the seriousness of sowing discord. The seriousness of sowing discord. Let's pray together. Father, speak to our hearts tonight. A great spirit in this place, and I'm very thankful that I can call it my church. Thank you for the guests that are here. Pray that you'd speak to their heart tonight. For our church family, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that we'd walk out, resolved to not be a sower of discord among the brethren. And Lord, I pray that you'd teach us how to avoid that tonight. Lord, I pray that you would be with my mom tonight. I know that these health problems are inconveniences that no one wants to deal with. And they not only hurt her physically, but they discourage her emotionally. And so I pray that you'd lift her up. I pray that we'd be a good church family to her. And I pray that if it be your will, you'd let her go to North Carolina to minister to that church there. If not, I pray that you'd help her to get into the doctor and, and uh, get some healing, some relief. And thank you for her ministry to our church. I pray you'd bless the word. Be with us, please. Keep us alert. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What does it mean to sow discord? Well, discord means a lack of concord or harmony between persons or things. Some synonyms for the word discord are strife, dispute, contention, conflict. I think in the world of music, and so discord in the area of music refers to an inharmonious combination of musical tones. Our two Zacchaeus-like ushers this morning came early enough to see sound checks. And they were disappointed that they didn't get a special on Friend Day. They weren't able to sing on Friend Day. And, and really it's because you guys, if you got on the platform, Steve and Rick, I love you to death, but you would sow discord among the brethren. There would be an inharmonious combination of musical tones. So you're right where you need to be in the back of the auditorium. Making a difference, just not in the choir loft. We call it dissonance, don't we? Just Grant, we call it. A chord that needs to be resolved so badly, and it's just not resolving. It sounds confusing. It's even harsh. There are all kinds of discord. There's marital discord, familial discord between parents and children, and discord between siblings. There's discord in the workplace. There's discord in the church house. There's discord in the community. There's discord in politics. There's discords on a team. But notice Solomon is talking specifically to his son, about someone that sows discord. Meaning that discord doesn't just happen. It originates 
with somebody who sows it. A sower is one that plants seeds. So a sower of discord must plant the seeds of distrust. Sower of discord will plant the seed of confusion, dishonesty, disapproval. The sower will plant these seeds by way of gossip and criticism and private sideline conversations. He even uses nonverbal cues such as checking out, folding of the arms, silent treatments, rolling of the eyes. A sower of discord will plant his seeds ever so carefully by sneaking in a subtle comment, sending an email or a text, having a private conversation, and those, those seeds that he plants, they don't bloom overnight. No, he waters them and he fertilizes them and he cultivates them, usually by way of a second conversation, a second text message, a second underhanded comment. A sower of discord is methodical. Very intentional, planting one seed at a time in many different areas of soil and cultivating those seeds until he rallies enough troops around his cause to create strife and conflict and win the little battle. At that point, the seed of discord has bloomed. This is why you don't see marriages end overnight. The seed of discord has been sown and cultivated weeks and months and maybe years before it ever bloomed to divorce. It's why you don't see churches splinter and fragment overnight. A split church, listen, is something that has happened over a long period of time as a sower of discord has methodically been allowed to plant and water and cultivate seeds of their own agenda for many weeks and months and maybe even years. And this is why Solomon chooses to talk to his son about this issue, about the danger and seriousness of sowing discord, being king and a leader himself of a nation. I'm sure he had seen firsthand the devastating results, the kind of havoc that a sower of discord can bring. He wants to save his son, number one, from becoming a sower of discord. And number two, he wants to teach his son how, how to avoid a sower of discord. And by way of preview, we've got to understand that Solomon's tone in this text is very serious. It's serious as he describes the sower of discord. It's serious as he explains the heart of the sower of discord. It's very serious as he lays out the consequences to the sower of discord. And it's really serious as he explains God's thoughts and emotions towards the sower of discord. There's four truths about the sower of discord I want to point out in our text. All with the intent of, number one, keeping you from being a sower of discord. And number two, helping you to avoid the one who sows discord. Notice first, the one who sows discord is described demonically. You might look at that and say, that sounds like an over-exaggeration. That sounds like a dramatic use of words. But when you study the, the way he describes them in verse 12, you understand this is, this is right on. Because in verse 12, he describes them as a naughty person. A naughty person. <laughs> we, we have lessened the severity of that word in our American vocabulary. So when we drop our kids off at the grandparents, we'll tell them, you be a good boy, you be a good girl, don't be naughty. You know, it's just kind of a, a juvenile term, an elementary term. It, it, it doesn't mean, we're not meaning to be very severe with it, but, but when you study the word as they used it in Hebrew, it occurs in this expression, son or sons of Belial. Belial, that's a name for the devil. 
It's used in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12 to describe the wicked sons of Eli. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They were naughty ones. They knew not the Lord. Same expression as this word naughty. It's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15. And what concord, there's the word, hath Christ with Belial, the devil, the naughty one. So I'm telling you this is very serious. Because the one who sows discord is not simply a troublemaker. They're not just a drama queen. They're not just a rebel. They are devilish in nature. They are acting very much like Satan himself. And so it's like Solomon wants his son. And he wants us to see from the get-go that the act of sowing discord among the brethren is not some little pet sin that we can afford to tolerate or keep around or excuse away. This is the kind of behavior that is naughty. That is, it is devilish. It reflects the wicked agenda of Satan himself who roams through this world, through churches and workplaces and communities and homes, trying to fragment and split them. And so when we sow discord, you're not the devil, but you're acting like him. Notice secondly, the one who sows discord is devising evil continually. Look at your copy of God's word, a naughty person, verse 12. A wicked man, now watch this, walketh with the froward mouth. Then he winketh with his eyes, then he speaketh with his feet, then he teacheth with his fingers. Frowardness is in his heart, watch. He deviseth mischief continually. So all the, all the, the phrases in the latter part of verse 12 and the first part of 13 are describing how he, devise, he deviseth evil or mischief Continually. He's constantly thinking, watch here, and scheming and planning how he's going to accomplish his evil agenda. How he's going to plant his seeds of discord, when he's going to plant his seeds of discord, in whose heart he's going to plant his seeds of discord. And he says, Solomon says, that he plants those seeds sometimes through the frowardness of his mouth. That word froward means twisted. It means crooked. So as he talks, the sower of discord likes to twist things around to his advantage. He tells half-truths. He distorts the truth. He hides the truth. He exaggerates the truth. So as to plant seeds of doubt and confusion and discord in people's minds. But his words, Solomon goes on to show us, aren't the only form of communication he uses to further his agenda. One writer said... That the sower of discord uses sinister sign language. In other words, he uses non-verbal communication. Says he winketh with his eyes. He communicates with his eyes. Like rolling the eyes. I preached every Wednesday night and Sunday morning to teenagers for 11 years. I still travel and do two or three camps every summer and preach to teenagers. And when I get on teenagers' level and I start getting in their business, because when you preach to teenagers, you need to get in their business. Like I'm getting in your business tonight. Compassionately, but straightforwardly. And so when I do that, they're oftentimes what the book of Proverbs would call a scorner in the group. And when you're hitting them where they're at, the scorner will oftentimes sit back in a seat like this and just roll his eyes so the person next to him can see that he disapproves. He's winking with his eyes. He is beginning to sow little seeds of discord to another person so as to tell them this youth pastor is really stupid. Right? 
you know what the stink eye is, don't you? That's when somebody doesn't even have to say a word, but you know exactly what they're saying. He said he speaketh with his feet. You know what this phrase has to do with? It's the idea of shuffling quickly back and forth. Being shifty. The sower of discord is really sneaky. Meaning he can shift in and out of the good graces of those who, who, whose ears he's wanting to bend in the moment. He can shuffle around in different groups, different cliques, different demographics based on what he's trying to get accomplished. We would call it being political. But it's, wick, it's more wicked than that. It, it's not exercising wisdom, it's trying to sow discord. He teacheth with his fingers. It's the idea of pointing one's finger. One, 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 what's happening is that the sower of discord is pointing somebody in his direction. He's assimilating a team without even saying a word. But, but I want you to understand something. That Solomon's main idea here is not that, 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 that we can understand every specific way in which the sower of discord communicates. But here's the idea that the sower of discord will use any and all forms of effective communication. He or she will get as creative as possible to persuade others, to rally the troops, to push their agenda. Sometimes that will mean words, sometimes it won't. Whatever works, they'll use, and it's constant. The scheming, the communicating, the, 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 the manipulation, the rallying of others around their cause, it's continually evil. Why? How can someone be so obsessed to devise mischief continually? Well, verse 14 says, because frowardness is in their heart. His words are froward because his heart is froward. I want you to note the progression. The heart is evil, and from the heart springs thoughts and plans, devising. Then these plans give rise to actions which soon draw others in as accomplices and eventually brings discord. Do you see it? At the heart of every problem is a problem of the... The problem isn't his words. The problem isn't their attitude. The problem isn't external. It's deep down inside. And I think Solomon is letting us in on how the sower of discord devises continually so as to tell us this. Beware. Be on guard. Don't let his words, his body language, his tactics, his persuasive ability, his personality make you one of his accomplices. I think this happens in the workplace a lot. I think there are politics that happen in the workplace that Christians should avoid. Undermining the boss. Rallying the troops. And you may not be the sower of discord, but you will often be recruited. And you better be careful about that. Solomon is telling his son this so that when he goes to work one day, when he goes in the community one day, when he joins a church one day, when he gets on a team one day, he'll be able to spot the tactics of a sower of discord. And he'll stay as far away from that sower of discord as he possibly can. Or maybe he's telling us that if the sower of discord's problem lies in the heart, then we're all prone to become a sower of discord. Because we all carry the same simple propensities, don't we? And so we better be careful about listening to gossip. 
We better, better be careful about being the soil in which a sower comes and plants a seed. Because sooner or later they're going to come and water that. And then the devil's going to fertilize it. Something else is going to cultivate it. And then it's going to bloom and you are going to become a sower of discord without even knowing it. Guard your heart. The one who sows discord is described demonically. is devising evil continually. Notice thirdly. The one who sows discord is destroyed suddenly. Not a Really a positive point. Solomon maintains this, this serious tone when he begins to talk about the consequences that this sower of discord will experience if he doesn't get his heart right. And at first the consequences are shocking. Verse 15. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. So we need to understand three things. He says that the sower is going to experience calamity. What's calamity? It's probably what you think it is. It's just something not good. It's destruction. It's ruin. It's disaster. And he says that it's going to come upon the sower of discord suddenly. It has the element of surprise. It's just like the one, who, the sluggard is, is going to be overtaken with poverty. The, the, the same thing is true with the sower of discord. He's going to be overtaken with calamity. And, and, and he will not be warned at all. He will think he is getting away with planting a seed here and a seed there. And he's thinking, I've got troops and I've got an army and I've rallied people around my agenda and around my cause. And I'm going to go forward and nobody's going to stop me. And then suddenly he's going to be overtaken with destruction. He won't see it coming, but it gets worse. It's not just suddenly, there's finality to it. Because he says that it's going to happen without remedy. That's a medical term. It's a clinical term. It means without healing. The idea, he said broken. The idea is he's going to be broken beyond repair. Now when I look at that and I compare it to the other two sermons I preached out of chapter 6, I really begin to see the severity of the consequence specifically towards the one that sows discord. Because our first message was about being surety for a friend. Do you remember that? In other words, co-signing for a friend. And if you do that unwisely, here's the consequence. You're going to be trapped. Because it's likely that the other person won't live up to their end of the bargain. And the debt's going to fall on you. But yet, here's what I see about that consequence. You can deliver yourself. That's what it says. It's possible to get out of that. And then we talked about the sluggard last week. And it says poverty's going to come, yes, suddenly... But there's nowhere in the text that implies that, that the, the consequence is final. That it's without remedy. You get to the one with the sower of discord, and it's not just suddenly. He says, it's final. Are you getting the seriousness of this? It's not like being a sluggard. It's not like making a fool, foolish financial mistake. It's deeper than that. It's being... It's experience a consequence that you will feel literally the rest of your life. I can't accurately tell you what it looks like for sure in every situation. Maybe it's a relationship that you damage to the point of no return. Maybe it's a job that you lose and will never get back. Maybe it's an opportunity that is missed and you'll never have that opportunity again. Maybe it's a testimony for God that is tainted because you sow discord in the workplace and your reputation will never fully be recovered. All I can say is the consequence for sowing discord is very serious and we should want nothing to do with it. 
Remember, this is a proverb to be interpreted generally. So I know every one of you are probably thinking in your mind, well, I've got an exception to that rule. Because I know this person who's so discord and they're still walking and breathing and have good health. And they make good money and they didn't lose their job. And they still sing on the platform and preach behind the pulpit. <laughs> Proverbs is just general rules. So I'm saying this is generally how it works. You sow discord and you refuse to get right with God and right with people, you're going to be surprised by the devastation you experience in your relationships and in other areas of your life. One that comes beyond repair. So then I have to ask this question as we transition to the last point. What makes sowing discord so serious that it provokes such a severe consequence? Solomon answers that in verses 16 through 19 where he tells us this, the attributes of the one who sows discord are detested divinely. That is God, the divine one, hates the attributes of discord. Don't miss this. He doesn't hate the sower of discord. I need, I need more people with me there. He doesn't hate the sower of discord. He hates the attributes, the outcomes of discord. Look at verse 16. Look at this list. These six things, I need you to study with me. Doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination, and him a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now look up here. At first I thought that I was going to preach verses 16 through 19 as a separate message. I thought it was written to Solomon's son and to us so as to teach us the danger of each one of these things in the list. I thought that my approach would be to have an exhaustive study on what a proud look was, what a lying tongue was, and tell you God hates it, so we ought to hate it too. But as I studied that, that's not Solomon's point. What we have here is a list, and it's called a numerical proverb. Follow me. It's, it's a writing technique that's found in other areas of Proverbs. Go study Proverbs 30 uh, tomorrow morning. And you'll see numerical proverbs. It, 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 it's a writing technique that's used in other places of the Old Testament. It's a technique that they called intensification or climax. Let me explain. Solomon makes a point to say, watch, that there are six things the Lord hates, but seven are abomination to him. So then why, did, why, why the six things first and then the seventh? Here's why. The list is met climactically. To build to the last item on the list. It's, met, it's meant to intensify. It was a writing technique in the Hebrew. What's the seventh thing on the list? What's the final item on the list? He that soweth discord among brethren. This is how we know verses 16 through 19 are tied into verses 12 through 15. If you're with me, say amen. amen. They are both referring to the same problem. In fact, I want, to go, I, I want to give you further evidence. Most of these things in this list refer back to the things mentioned in the previous verses. Look, at, look at, at the list. A proud look. What does that correspond with? Winking eyes. A lying tongue and a false witness. What does that correspond with? A froward mouth. Hands that shed innocent blood. What does that correspond with? Teaching fingers. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. What does that correspond with? Speaking feet. And then the last thing on the list... Sowing discord among the brethren, watch, it is the key to understanding the other six things on the list. 
The seventh thing God hates is the key to understanding the other six things that God hates. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. What he hates about a proud look is that it's arrogance sows discord among brothers. What he hates about lying lips is that it's gossip and slander sow discord among brothers. What he hates about hands that shed innocent blood is their anger and hatred and murderous behavior sow discord among brothers. He's not trying to teach us not to be murderers. Jesus said if you, if you have anger in your heart towards a brother without a good cause, then you're a murderer. He's trying to teach us the attitude of a murderer. I could go on and break down the list, but that's really not the point. The point is God deals with sowing discord among the brethren so severely in verse 15 because in verse 16 through 19, he detests it so deeply. That's what abomination means. It means it turns his stomach. You get that picture in your mind? If you don't, think about what turns your stomach. For some of you, it's the sight of blood. For others, it's pain. For some, it's onions. All of us have things that gross us out to the point of turning our stomach. That's what happens to God's stomach when he sees somebody acting like the devil and that they are sowing discord among brethren. He's not just grossed out. He literally detests it. He hates it. Again, he doesn't hate the one sowing discord. He hates the attributes and the outcomes of sowing discord. So i got to ask you, do you hate it? Does it turn your stomach? No, does gossip turn your stomach? Does underhanded comments turn your stomach? Wicked maneuvering and manipulation, does that turn your stomach? Or do you tolerate it? Are you part of it? If, if we hate it, watch, if we hate it, it'll be proven in how we seek to protect the unity and enhance the unity of those who are around. If we hate it, it's not that we just have this inward feeling like, oh man, I don't like that. No, we fight for the unity of the workplace. We fight for the unity of our home. We fight for the unity of our church. So I want to talk to you by way of application just about unity in a couple different places. About fighting for that. Hating discord so much like God does that we fight for unity. Instead of being a troublemaker you ought to be a peacemaker. I'm thankful that I'm part of a church. There's not a lot of discord that happens. Now, we have to put out little fires. We, we try to put them out when they're little campfires, not forest fires. So half of them you never know about. But even, even after that, I mean, it, it's like it just takes a little spray bottle. I, I want you to know I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. But, but we can carefully become a fragmented congregation if we're not careful. In fact, I got to thinking about some things in our church that are intentionally set up so as to enhance the unity of our church, protect the unity of our church. It's because we understand that God, dis, he, he, he detests discord, and we should too. Things like 
like, like the way we carry out the two biblical offices. You know what those are in the Baptist church? In, in, the, in the local Bible church, I should say. Jesus' church didn't have Baptist anywhere near it in name. It's how we identify ourselves in our core doctrines, but you understand it wasn't the first Baptist church of Jesus. Just the way we identify ourselves. But the two biblical offices are pastor and deacon. Well, what about those trustees that find themselves on the ballots every year? And then treasurers. Those are practical positions. Positions that we put in place for accountability and organization of finances. And it's just fine with God. But the two biblical offices, so as to lead the people and take care of the people and feed the people and nurture the people spiritually, are pastors and deacons. And one of the reasons I'm convinced that Fellowship Baptist Church has, has enjoyed strong unity and stayed away from deep discord is because we're a church that believes in pastoral authority. That is not dictatorship. That is not hatefulness. That is not getting power hungry. That is not manipulating God's people. God is the, Jesus is the chief shepherd and he is entrusted and under shepherd to every flock. And so, so our pastors, the Landis and my dad, the only ones I've met, they, they knew how to shepherd people. They know how to shepherd people. That is, they have a rod that has two ends. And as a shepherd, they know when to lovingly just pull you back into the fold and they know when to kind of just poke you a little bit. And the reason why the discord isn't really evident in our church in a lot of ways is because our deacons and other leaders in our church have bought into the fact that God has blessed us and gifted us with a pastor. So we should submit to his preaching and teaching and leadership and prayer in our life, not that he is the one we worship, not that he's the one we serve, but the one that God has gifted us with to lead us. Our church needs to understand that God has given the church a pastor. And the deacons, I've sat in those meetings consistently now for a year. And I love their spirit. I love the way they come alongside pastor, advise him and help him and pray with him and for him and encourage him and help lead our, our church family. I'm very grateful for that. But you understand that if but one deacon decides, you know what, I'm going to have my own agenda. That it's, it, it has been known before for one deacon to start planting seeds. And there are churches, good Baptist churches, that they have split two and three times. Because good men of God, who've been entrusted with hold of biblical office and care and help our pastor shepherd people. Hasn't happened in Fellowship Baptist Church, praise the Lord. But we are one, listen, we are one seed away. And if God has entrusted you, entrusted me to lead this flock, staff, deacons, our pastors, then we better be very, very careful about protecting the unity of this place and never carrying it out an agenda of our own. I want to say this too. I don't have time to go into it theologically, but 
you might have caught on that to be a member of Fellowship Baptist Church, you would need to have been baptized in a Baptist church. And the reason, one of the main reasons we do it is, is very practical because we want to unity of our church. And we are unified not around personality. We're unified around truth. And, and it's not about Baptist truth, it's about Bible truth. Baptist is just the label we put on the sign. It means something because it identifies who we are. And anytime we want to be non-Baptist, then we should just take it off our sign, right? But it's out there for a reason. I'm not going to throw a fit over that or get angry about it, but we are Baptist on purpose. Now I want everybody to listen. We're not angry about it. Because we have it on our sign doesn't mean we're better than anybody. Doesn't mean we have the corner in the market and we have it all figured out. And everybody in every other church is less than we are. That's like the Pharisees thought. That's not who we are. That's not why we carry out this doctrine. We do this because we want people to come into the family of Fellowship Baptist Church and submit to a body of truth. Okay? We, we aren't about this. Well, well, we all serve the same God. That's true. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. When you come to Jesus Christ, he doesn't ask, are you a Baptist? It's the furthest thing from Jesus' mind. Yes, we're unified in the greater family of God around that one truth. But in a local church, we have to be unified around specific Bible doctrine. And we've chosen, yes, to hold the rope very tight in that area. Intentionally because we want to maintain, protect, and enhance the unity of our church around baptistic Bible truth. Are you with me? And so we don't force anybody to make that decision, but Brother Mike does an amazing job of articulating that in first steps. And some can agree with it, and some just can't. And if you can't, you are more than welcome to come and worship at Fellowship Baptist Church. And sing with us, and pray with us, and grow with us. But you won't be a member of this local church until we can all submit to that Bible truth. You know what else we do? We are very careful about who stands and teaches and preaches the word of God. So there have been people that have come and joined our church and it's as though just a month or two in they're wanting to teach the word. I love the eagerness. I, I love the willingness to use their gift to teach and help others. But, but there is an intentionally, we don't have a time frame for it, but there is intentionally like a proving time. Why is that? Well, Pastor and I had lunch with, with an individual, this is years ago when I first came on staff, and, and at their church, they, he was a teacher, and, and he taught a whosoever will gospel. That's what we believe, right? That whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But yet someone across the hall was, was a Calvinist, that, that, that God has his elect. And, and, and I don't go into all of that, but, but there's a big difference between the two. And we, we don't want that to happen here. I want to know that what my Uncle Rick Prater is teaching and there is a whosoever gospel. At the same time, I want to know that Bill Mills is, is, is teaching a whosoever gospel. Doug Knudsen is teaching a whosoever gospel. Mike Dominguez is teaching a whosoever gospel. And the person teaching my third grade son is teaching a whosoever gospel. And so we're just very careful about training and about watching. I'm just trying to tell you that we've done some things as a church to protect and enhance the unity of this place. And the proof is in the pudding. As long as I've been alive, we haven't had a church split. You might be waiting to 2020 to, to do it. I don't know. 
I must say, it's because we've taken some stances that others will say are some, somewhat unnecessary. I can understand their arguments, but at the same time, I like pragmatically what it's done to Fellowship Baptist Church. Can I tell you as a church member how you can protect and enhance the unity in this place? I mean, we try to do our part. Here, here's what you can do. You can call out a sower of discord as you see it. When you see it happening. In Christ-like love and compassion, you don't and shouldn't tolerate a gossip. You shouldn't tolerate a critical spirit. You shouldn't tolerate a sideline conversation that is unhealthy. Are you with me tonight? You ought to, you ought to purpose in your heart to be a peacemaker in Fellowship Baptist Church, not a troublemaker. That means refuse to listen to gossip. Refuse to participate in private conversations. Take your concerns, hey, take your concerns straight to somebody who can actually do something about it. And I like this one. Make it really super hard for somebody to offend you. And you can't let it go, then practice Matthew 18, biblical principles of reconciliation. You can learn to live with something you don't agree with without making a big deal about it or without checking out. Are we okay? Because I've seen, even in my 13 years here at Fellowship Baptist Church, people who were once very, very involved, the decision was handed down, they didn't like, and all of a sudden they're completely checked out. And they're sowing discord, not so much with their words, it's just their body language. They're winking with their eyes. They're teaching with their fingers. They're speaking with their inactive feet. Hmm. You can protect and enhance the unity in this place by keeping the main thing the main thing. And us preachers, can't we, Dad? Staff, we can protect the unity by in this pulpit keeping the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you keep loving the lost. You keep giving so we can reach the lost. You keep influencing the lost. You keep pursuing the lost. And you'll be too busy and too focused and too compassionate to get caught up in things that don't really matter. It's rare that you have a disgruntled church member that is also reaching people for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's rare. Very, very rare. Let me shift to the home. You understand if God hates discord among the brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, then certainly he hates it among actual brothers and sisters and moms and dads. The devil is on a mission to fragment the homes in our society. Parents, don't tolerate division among your children when they're young. Now I know I don't have multiple kids. So you might view me as someone that doesn't have credibility in this, but I think I've thought through it. Don't allow them to fight with one another and get away with it. Why? Teach them right now to deal with their differences correctly. Oh, they're just brother and sister. They're going to fight. Well, brother and sister end up turning 30 one day. And at 30, they don't know how to deal with their differences. And they go to work and they don't know how to, dis they don't, they don't know how to deal with their disagreements at work. And when something they see on Facebook comes up that they disagree with, they have no idea how to handle that. Maybe it's because when they were in three or four, they weren't taught with their sister and brother some relational skills for when discord happens. I think there are parents and children 
whether that be teenage children or adult children, that let discord go on in their home for way too long. Hey, if you have a relationship with one of your children, whether that be a younger child or an adult child, and there's discord, please understand, God's not happy with that. He's not okay with it. You understand that outside of the church, the home is the one institution God created. He's not okay, parents, if you are estranged from your adult children. He's not okay with that. It's not his plan. He doesn't say, well, I just, I understand just how life goes sometimes. He's not okay with it. Discord in the home is devilish. And I, I'm just saying that if you're holding a grudge, even towards somebody in your old family, you better get a hold of it before it gets a hold of you. Boy, God wants a sweet spirit in your home. He doesn't want people in your home walking on eggshells. He doesn't want people in your extended family walking on eggshells. Husbands and wives, don't tolerate discord in your marriage. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I could use some more help tonight. Don't, don't get angry with one another and stay angry. You're going to get angry with one another because when two sinners say I do, they sin. But you don't have to go to bed angry. You don't have to agree. But, but when you go to bed angry and you keep going to bed angry and that's a pattern in your life, here's what the, the verse says in Ephesians 4, you're giving place to the devil. You're inviting him over for a sleepover. He's, he's got a sleeping bag in your heart. Because you think you can deal with it silently. He's eating you up on the inside with bitterness towards your spouse. And over time you're going to become cold hearted and become angry and become irritable. And you're just not going to like the person that God has called you to do life with. So, so deal with your differences. Talk about your differences. Be approachable and humble about your differences. When you go to work, don't be a troublemaker. Be a peacemaker. At your place of work in our community, there probably isn't a place. Probably in the place outside of your church where you can do more for the glory of God than your workplace. And there's not a place where you can damage the glory of God more. And so when you deal with your customers, be a peacemaker. When you deal with your boss, be a peacemaker. When you deal with those that you lead, be a peacemaker. Don't be in the center of the drama at work. God detests that. Hey, what church you go to? Fellowship Baptist. You want to come to friend day with me? Well, not really the way you just acted. And when you go out in the community of liberal Kansas, which I love dearly, I'm called the reach for Christ. In our town, would you please be a peacemaker? Not a troublemaker? When you serve on the nonprofit organizational board, would you be a peacemaker? Not a troublemaker? When you're voting for your favorite candidate, would you be a peacemaker? Not a troublemaker? When things don't go your way in our community, would you please be a peacemaker? Not a troublemaker? Doesn't mean you can't stand up for a cause. Doesn't mean you can't let your voice be heard in a Christ-like way. But not a troublemaking way. Just being honest with you, I, I want our gospel influence to be effective in our town. 
want people to know that Fellowship Baptist Church loves this community. We support our leaders. Whether we agree with them or not, we pray for them. We pray for them. Look at the epistles we're commanded to. Whether you voted for them or not, we pray for them. We want God to give them wisdom. And so don't do anything out in our community that would, that would cause trouble. Stand up for Christ and stand up for what you believe in a Christ-like way, but be a peacemaker. So ultimately, Solomon wanted the son and us to understand that sowing discord is very, very serious. Therefore, three statements. Don't be the one who sows discord among brethren. Statement two. Avoid the one who sows discord among brethren. Number three. If you're experiencing discord, resolve it now. Please stand to your feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed.